Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership, episode 100. I cannot believe we are already here, and I am so grateful to each and every one of you listening, for each and every one of you who have downloaded one or a hundred episodes. We couldn't do it without you. We also could not do it without our incredible guests, all these amazing people we have had on the show. And you know, today is no exception. Today, I am so excited for this conversation we get to have with a good friend of mine. I also have my brother in arms, Paul Jobson, who was the first interview of this podcast, doing it here with me. As we've said before, we are wanting to do this more and more um, to be able to have Paul do these interviews, and it looks like we're going to be able to do that quite a bit this season. So I'm excited for that. I hope you are too. So Paul, what's going on, man? Hey, man. First of all, super excited that uh, we're going to get to do more of this. I'm excited about kind of what we're planning out through this next season, and of course, really excited about uh, talking with Dan today too. But yeah. We're good. The Jobson household is doing well and started school off well here and just ready to ready to start rolling through this fall. It'll be gone before we know it. So we're trying to gobble it up as, as well as we can. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that all my kids are back in school. I thought you said it's starting to cool off here. And I was thinking, wow, that you're, you're lucky. Oh, yeah, um, we're, in the, but, we're in the high 90s. It's cooled yeah. off about 10 degrees. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, we're the opposite direction. We're we're now in the middle of this awful heat wave where it's going to be 105, 106, 110, 108. Right? So we're just we're just looking to stay inside and not do anything. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking with Dan Williams. He is a soccer coach at Gwinnett Soccer Academy. Some of you may know it as GSA out there in the Atlanta area. He also has Next Level Soccer Academy, which is his personal training. He does a ton of sports ministry that he's been involved with Global Sports Movement for years and years. I think probably decades, but Dan's going to tell us more of that here in a minute. But without more from us in this little intro, Dan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me to join you guys. Yeah, well, I know that both of us have had conversations with you, and I've been able to share several meals with you and spend some weekend retreats with you. And so I, I've i been, this is a long time coming. I mean, the first time I talked with you, I thought, I got to get you on. And we've we've kind of mentioned it a few times here and there, but uh, now we've, we've finally been able to make it happen. So with that, you know, I as as most people know, if this is your first time listening, then welcome. If it's not, you know that I love to start off each episode, each interview with just you sharing your story, you know, telling how you develop your passion for soccer, for leadership, for doing doing ministry and uh, how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, for me, you know, I have a unique background, I guess. I, I grew up in a different country. I was born in the United States, but went to Taiwan when I was two years old. Of course, Taiwan's a lot in the news a lot right now for various <laughs> reasons, but that's where I grew up. And so, you know, my parents were missionaries. That's how I found myself there. But growing up in a, in a third culture, I was exposed to a lot of different things and in the sports world and the sports side of things. And, and going to an international school growing up, a lot of kids from Europe and other parts of the world, you know, soccer was one of the sports that I enjoyed playing growing up. I think for me personally, I loved it because it was an invasion sport. 
And uh, I've played a lot of different sports. The ones that were more individual, like uh, tennis, man, I, you know, I love the battle, but I didn't like the micro, the microscope because the other part of soccer that I enjoyed was the team element. The times when you needed your teammates to pick you up and, and you could find your place and how you could contribute on the team. And in, in individual sports, man, you're out there all alone. <laughs> And, and so soccer was one of those sports growing up. And of course, you know, it, it, it gave me a, a college education. You know, I looking at college, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even really look at the school. I just was looking for a place to play. And there was a small little school in Dayton, Tennessee that I sent videotapes to because I had a classmate, a high school mate of mine who was playing there and told the coach about me and he gave me a scholarship and I said, great, I'm coming. And, you know, wonderful experience in college playing soccer, got to, you know, my education learned really for the first time to not let sports use me, but you know, I had a, a counselor tell me and ask me the question is sport, are you going to use sport or are you going to let sport use you? And what he was trying to get me toward was, you know, here's this opportunity. We've scholarship you to be here. Are you going to get your education because of it? And thankfully I did. And then after that, it opened the door to kind of kick the ball around a little bit longer playing semi-pro back in the early nineties. There wasn't much of a pro league in the United States. And I'm not saying I was at that level, but I was certainly good enough to play what was available. I wasn't interested in playing the indoor game. So I, I got on with an outdoor semi-pro team, but that didn't last long <laughs> because the ownership kept on changing. So, you know, soccer for me, to be honest with you, as I look at it, you know, it exposed me to a different way of looking at the world through my team. It, it took me around the world, certainly outside of where I grew up here in the United States and here in the United States took me around the Southeast as I was traveling around playing the game. And I, I got to meet a lot of very interesting people through my soccer experience. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about to just the, how you have used it for ministry and sports through the global sports movement, what that even is. I know a lot of people probably don't even know what that is and just be able to share about how you got involved with that and, and how you've been able to impact lives all over around the world for decades. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in the, in the early nineties, I was here in Atlanta. I, like I mentioned, you know, my soccer journey was coming to an end because it was, it was just, you know, the leagues were, were coming and going, you know, and so I started, like all the other players, I had a daytime job, you know, and, and my, my job during the day was actually working in the tennis business. I'd grown up playing tennis and I, and I was good enough to coach tennis and to, to be in the, the tennis business. I, I strung rackets for pros and things like that. And, and so <clears throat> being in that business, I found myself kind of languishing because it's like, okay, you know, this isn't the lifestyle I was looking for. I want a, a problem to solve that's bigger than this. I want to be part of a team that's accomplishing something in the world. And and tennis was wonderful. But then I had a friend that I played college soccer with and also semi-pro soccer with. And he was working for the Salvation Army, which, by the way, I had never heard of up to this point. But mm -hmm. he had grown up in, in England 
And so his parents were involved with the Salvation Army and he had come over and played college soccer and he was a really good player. And we played semi-pro soccer together here in the Atlanta area. And, and he had gone on to get his master's degree at Georgia State in sports administration. And then the Salvation Army hired him because of his background, but also his education and his focus because the Olympics were coming to Atlanta. And so the Salvation Army wanted to start an office that would look at how they could mobilize and serve during the Olympics. And so he pitched them on this idea and they they accepted it. Well, he came to me and said, hey, Dan, we're, we're running this urban inner city sports program and we're looking for somebody to run it. The guy that was running it has quit. And, uh, and I said to him, well, you know, I'm, I'm really not too happy with where I am in the tennis uh, world. This isn't what I see myself doing. And, you know, great. I'd love to. And so that turned into a part-time job that then in 1993 turned into a full-time job where I started working with the Salvation Army and others to develop sports programs that had a character enrichment development component in it multiple sports, basketball, soccer, baseball. We even tried cricket, all different kinds of ways to connect with youth through the through the vehicle of sport to change lives. And that's how I got connected with a sports movement that I was totally unaware of. But because of the major events, we had all these different people coming into Atlanta. And I began to realize that there was people who were using or in the world of sport who were Christians or who were trying to make a difference in their community. And I was, that really appealed to me. And so I connected with them relationally and got exposed to something called the global sports movement. And, and really I've been involved with in it ever since. Yeah. And just real quickly, I know it, it's, it's very, there's a lot to it, but just Briefly, maybe in two minutes, what is the global sports movement? Yeah, to to summarize it, I would say, you know, the power of sport is the power to save lives and change lives. And we see that sport can cross over boundaries. It can cross into a socioeconomic contexts. It can enter war zones. It, it can cross over culture and language barriers. So there's a power in sport and the power to save and, and change lives is in the sport itself, the sport experience through character development, through leadership development. And so the global sports movement has seen the power of sport, but the reality is that a lot of the resources are trapped. And so what would be possible if we built a global partnership? A partnership of people who are willing to give away their intellect, their experience, their lessons that they've learned at the community level, the things that have worked and shared them with other people. And so when we share things together, then we can resource others in ways that they couldn't resource themselves alone. And so it's really just a partnership of people who create open source resources to give away. So I bring things to the table, lessons I've learned, and I share them with somebody else. And then collectively, we build something for someone who's not in the room, who they can benefit and take that resource to change and save lives in their community through the vehicle of sport. Yeah, Dan, I love that. And I love the conversations we've had around 
that and what you're doing and what the global sports open is doing and it's really really amazing stuff and you know through your through your story i mean you mentioned phil mentioned at the top you know that you're you're coaching too at, at gsa and in your own program how did you get into coaching and, and through that process as you talk about like how you got into it i also want to talk a little bit about things that you've seen over the years how youth soccer has changed a bit maybe some things you see that are that are positive that are changing in a positive way maybe some things that you see are changing maybe in a, a negative direction. Well, maybe we could talk through some of those things, but how'd you get into coaching and, and, and what are you seeing in that environment right now? Yeah, my, my, I guess my bridge into coaching happened through my children. You know, I, I had played and of course I'd coached a little bit when I was in college as an outreach, you know, as a service project in the community, we would go out and, and help out with coaching after I, I was done playing. I remember I'd coached a couple of teams for a local church and they had a program in the community. So I'd always been involved in different ways like that. And then of course, when I was doing things with the Olympics here in Atlanta and then launching into other parts of the world where I was going, soccer was always a part of what I did, whether it was running a soccer clinic or, you know, working with other soccer coaches in their environment. So I never really left the game, if you will. I just wasn't as deeply involved in it as I am today. And that really, that re-entry happened when my girls were born and I introduced the game to them, a game that I loved and they both loved it. And so we continued. And so I started, you know, my entry point was the rec program. They needed rec coaches. And so I wanted to coach my girls. And so I did that. But then at a certain point, they, they kind of aged out of that. And my oldest quit when she got to high school, but my youngest, she was really, really into the sport. I mean, she just was passionate about it. And so she graduated into the academy system. And about that time, I had asked the academy to do a, a program in an at-risk school because they didn't have an after-school programming because it was a school that lacked resources. And, you know, I said, hey, the club could send coaches as volunteers and run an after-school program. And they were looking for a project like that. And they said, wonderful idea. And so I started it and then they would send coaches. Well, it, a couple of times they would call me, hey, our coach isn't going to show up. Can you can you run the program? I said, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. No problem. No problem. And so I would just, you know, last minute go out there, do my thing. Um, well, the club director would come out a lot of times and then the other uh, club coaches. And one day he walks up to me and says, Dan, why aren't you coaching in our academy? And I said, well, you know, I. I don't know how much time would that take. And of course, at this time, I'm starting to pay for my kid to be in the academy. And I started to do the math in my head. And I said, well, how much do you pay? <laughs> <laughs> and then when he, you know, we've walked, but basically what I was, the math I was doing in my head is if we can break even here, we got a deal. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, that's how I got into coaching. And, you know, I, I did all the coaches education and, and things like that. And, and I've been involved in coaching since then. But you you asked a couple of questions there about, you know, what have I experienced as far as challenges or what do I see in the game? I would say in many ways, what motivates me to be a coach and continue to stay here is based on my experience of lessons that I've learned in 55 years of 
walking this earth, but also, you know, since playing, since I started playing, that's what really, I want to give back. And so if I look at the sport and the, you know, the simple answer would be uh, the sport's done so much for me. I, I want to give back. But in the, in the context of, of the sport, you know, there's a lot of challenges and I can't speak to all of them. So I can only speak to my own personal experience because I've, I've had a unique front row seat. Not only have I been a coach and I'm still a coach in an academy, but I'm also a parent of a player who's been on an elite pathway for a very long time. Now she's playing division one sport uh, soccer now, but on this journey, I've witnessed a lot of ups and downs, like a lot of things that I didn't know, a lot of frustrations, you know, I've experienced as a parent, but not only that, I've, I've experienced the frustrations of other parents who have come to me and go, well, why do we do this? And why is it done that way? And, and of course, as you listen, you begin to understand that there's a, the communication is, is the challenge. There's a difference of understanding of where, where people are. And I would summarize it this way. Well, let me back up. There's a coach that I've just recently come across, Raymond Verhagen. Verhagen. I think I'm mispronouncing his last name because he's Norwegian, I believe. But he's he kind of talks about coaches' education from a totally different perspective. In fact, I would imagine that most people that have come across his content would probably go, it's all wrong. <laughs> but I love people who think outside the box. So the way he talks about coaching is very interesting. He, he says, football, being European, football is communication, decision-making, and execution on that decision. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me as a soccer coach, because as I'm coaching, I'm communicating a system of play. I'm communicating principles of play to my player. Based on that communication, my player is making decisions, game time, real time, situational decisions. And that's another reason why I love this game. And I love your podcast, by the way, because you're bringing attention to that. The beautiful element to soccer is that it's a, it's a player led game. Like I can coach them, I can prepare them, but once that whistle blows, it's on them, the decisions they make in real time. Now, I give them a context for how I want them to make those decisions in a process, but it's on them to make those decisions. And then it's the execution. Can I execute that decision? We run into that a lot at the youth level. And the reality is we get so frustrated a lot of times with them because they can't execute that decision. And we steamroll them even if they've made a decision. That's the first step, right? <laughs> Did they make, like, I'll look at a player and go, they tried to make the right decision. They just didn't execute it. Mm -hmm. But then I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to a coach say, you, that was poor execution. Rather than rewarding or emphasizing, that's a great decision you just made. We just came a little short on the execution, but we'll work on that. Yeah, I like that. And I think that through coaching, and you mentioned a little bit through that, the the disconnect between maybe coach and parent. 
when it comes to how things are probably, I'm assuming how things are being communicated. Like a coach may communicate something based on his or her knowledge, which is probably at a high level where most parents, assuming most parents don't have the high level knowledge, but have a knowledge of sport. So they're coming in at, at different places. And sometimes the coaches are speaking a, maybe a different language, we would say at times. Maybe the, the kids understand a little bit more than the parents do. To, to navigate from that a little bit, I think they go together. What 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 role do you think overcoaching plays in that too? When we talk about decision-making and execution from a player standpoint. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I can only speak to my own experience. So I, I have to, I have to talk about it from the context of myself. Yeah. So I do overcoach. And this is what happens to me when I overcoach. I, I have a preferred future in my head. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. And so I think, I can make it happen. And I, and I try to do that by, by over coaching and, and, and the kid isn't processing one. They have no context for my preferred future. They've not been there. They've not seen it. They don't understand it. All they understand is the moment, the situation that are in, and that's situational leadership, that's situational awareness. And I think that's one of the challenges that I have to work on as a coach all the time and understanding, okay, what's, when have I gone too far? When have I gone into information overload for, for what we're trying to accomplish here? Because I'm not running a sprint, I'm running a marathon. And I think oftentimes I'm frustrated as a coach because I only have them for a short period of time when I look at the context of a marathon, right? And so sometimes I self-impose pressure on myself because I'm like, I, they got to get all this right now. And and so I, I would say that from a, from a personal standpoint, that's some of the battle that I fight as a coach. And I have to constantly remind myself of, okay, what is it that I want to deliver and what is necessary for them to take the next step? So have I thought about what I'm what I'm building in layers? It, you know, am I building a sequence that's moving forward, or am I just throwing, you know, things together and kind of, you know, cooking totally blind? You know, I need to think about a recipe. I need to think about the process here and where am I in that process? And of course, that's what coaches education tries to help you with is, is kind of give you some of those guidelines and, 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 and help. But the challenge is, you know, as coaches, we can, it's very easy to find yourself moving into over, uh, uh, information overload or over coaching. Yeah. Last thing on just, in this, and I, this is also interesting to me uh, as a coach, you know, I love uh, one thing I love about our sport too, is that as coaches, we all can have different philosophies and opinions about how we go about the game itself, you know, but I also think there's some things that we're trying to figure out uh, as a country, I would say maybe of how best to develop our players. And you're obviously highly involved at the academy level. What changes have you seen over the years when it comes to, at that age group of, of, of the importance of winning and how has that maybe disrupted the idea, or maybe it has helped the idea of, of developing young players. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot in that question. One is, you know, I think our focus should be on competition. I, I think competition is good. I'm not too sure winning is always good in the sense of, let me explain that more. There, You can win and actually distract a player. You, you, can, you can actually take a player's development backward by winning. Yeah. And so you're, but, but if you're competing, if you're trying to create a competitive environment, that is all about ownership, right? Because competition, I'm not the competitor. The, the coach is not the competitor. Now, a lot of times I feel like the other guy's competing with me <laughs> because he's trying to get the edge on the official. So he's talking to the official a certain way, or he's trying to get the edge on me by, you know, playing mind games. I'm like, you know, what's going on here? What? I'm not the competitor. You know, the competitor is on the field. And so the ownership of the comp the competitive environment is on the player. And and, the, and it's a wonderful environment because it, it it's it's a player-led environment. And then my job as a guide is to help them think through, okay, what did we learn in that? You know, how do we develop from that? How do we move forward from that, regardless of whether or not we win or lose? And sometimes the winning losing equation really distracts from that development process because the parents are distracted the players therefore distracted because the parents distracted because if you ask some of these kids i mean they just want to play and that's what we as coaches really want to protect i believe and really really add more fuel to is that desire to play. Yeah, the desire to figure it out. The the passion that comes from really really honing that skill or seeing a skill and being afraid of it because I I'm not sure I can do it. Well, okay. Let's work through that fear. Let's let's help you bridge. Well, you get distracted real easy if 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 I fail, we lose. And the reality is that's the conversation that happens at the premier league level. I don't why that conversation is happening at youth development level, you know, but it is a lot of the styles, the the even the words we use, we sound like we're in halftime uh, at a premier league game as opposed to a learning environment, which is a laboratory, a laboratory where we're experimenting and, and trying and failing and moving forward and developing. But I think a lot of it is because we just don't treat ourselves in a human way. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to treat each other as a number. In fact, recently, because we're empty nesters, my wife and I are we're trying to find shows to watch together. And she goes, Hey, what's this all or nothing arsenal? I'm not an arsenal fan. And I go, Oh, we don't want to watch that. And she goes, no, no, it looks interesting. And we watched it and yeah, great stuff. But one of the, one of the things Mikhail Arteta said, and you know, I don't know if you like him as a coach or not, but I thought very interesting insight. He, he said in one of the little monologues of him in the office, talking to the camera, he said, there's a Spanish coach that talks about the players as numbers. 
And he goes, I can't look at a player as a number. I look at the player as a person. Now, regardless of what you think about Mikel Arteta as a coach, I just want to extract that little nugget of wisdom. And I think that's so true. I think a lot of times at the youth level, we look at that player as a six. We look at that player as a nine. Are they making the decisions that a, a, that a nine should make? Are they making the decisions that a six? Uh, they can't execute. So I can't put them as a six. I got to move them. Where, where, where can I hide them? Oh, I'll, I'll put them over here as a nine up front or I'll hide them in the back somewhere else. And we're not looking at them as a person and going, where, 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 where could they be in 10 years? You know, if they're nine, 10, where could they be in 15 years if they're 12, 13 or, or five years, excuse me, you know, but you're looking at it more from a trying to see into the future and then helping them, helping them on that process. So really looking them at it as a person first rather than a number. Yeah, I like I like that. And one thing somebody said to me recently in the same kind of context is that especially at the youth level, can we can we teach kids to have a winning mentality as opposed to focusing on the winning? Can we focus on the, teaching the kids how, how to have a winning mentality, which is like kind of like never say die and never give up and push on to the next thing. And and that may lead that may or may not lead to a win. But on the day, if you give everything that you have and you've you've done your best on the day, you can't ask much more of a kid yeah. or a person for that matter. Well, and that's the thing that I think it's a good segue into some of the other things we want to talk about today. But that idea, and this is what I tell every team that I coach, is, hey, success is, as John Wooden said, right? Success is the, the so, what is it, the understanding that you have given your very best on that given day. That is success. That's winning, right? So that idea of competition is I, when, I get, when I step onto the field, I will compete at the highest level I'm capable of. I will give that maximum effort, right? That perfect effort. If I'm giving that, then that's winning. And the scoreboard may not show that, but we know that. We individually, we as a team, if we are clicking, if we are healthy, if we aren't toxic out there, if we aren't tearing each other down, if we're competing at that highest level, that's success, that's winning. So, you know, and, and, and with that, I wanna, I wanna know, like that idea is an idea that's not just for soccer. That's an idea for life, right? That's an idea that we've talked about on this show before. But what are, what are some of those other things that you've taken from, you know, and we talked about one of them before, even we started recording, but just from your, from your soccer playing days, from your coaching, from what you've learned from the game, and, and what, how have you used that in the ministry that you've done, in the different work that you've done outside of the game? Yeah, I think one of the things that I, you know, going through coaches' education, you know, we, we're taught the technical, the tactical, and then the physical and the mental, kind of those four different spheres. The, but the more I've gotten involved in the day-to-day -day coaching and drawing up, whether it be what we're going to work on this year or how I'm going to develop the players and thinking through all that, I've realized, well, you know, come on, tactical or technical or technique is physical. <laughs> it's, about, it's about the body. And, you know, 
tactical. It's, it's, it's mind, it's thinking, it's the brain, you know, it's the intellect, all of those things. And so when you compare that with my background in developing character in people through the vehicle of sport, one of the elements that we understand as character coaches is yes, the athlete has a body. The athlete has a mind, but the athlete also has a spirit. And what I mean by spirit is the human spirit, right? So when I talk with athletes, it doesn't matter what level. I coach professional level athletes in my business. I coach college level athletes in my business. It, they all, this all resonates with them because they know what's required of them physically, what they need to develop, the skills that they need to develop, the speed, the, the physical element. They understand that, and that's part of what they work on a lot during the day, and they have specialists that help them, whether it be in the weight room or on the field. Then when it comes to the mental side of the game, they understand that they have an intellect, that they have a, an emotional brain, that they, you know, that the, the actual physical brain that creates all the chemicals that control their moods and all those different things. And so they understand the mental side. And, and now that we have mental coaches that are specialists coming into the game, they're even understanding that even more. But when you talk about spirit, they go, what do you, what do you mean there? Tell me more because they know there's something else going on. There's another element that's going on. It's that, it's that will, it's the, the love, it's, the, it's, it's that feeling that goes on and they can't quite understand, oh, nor can they really explain it. L let me give an analogy. I, I like to explain it this way. Think of, a, think of a sailboat. You know, if you think of a sailboat and if I was to say, this sailboat is an analogy or a metaphor, excuse me, a metaphor for the spirit, the human spirit. You would look at the sailboat and it's leaning into the wind, you know, and it's it, it, it's it's going after the America's Cup. You know, one of those pictures where you see the sailboat just leaning and you, these people are off the, the, the bow holding the, the sailboat down with their weight. And, you know, you're just this sheer exhilaration in that picture. Where is the spirit? Well, the spirit is not the sailboat. The spirit, the human spirit, isn't even the wind blowing into that sail because you see all the power of the wind, the force that's going in the sail. The, the, the human spirit isn't that wind going in into that, to that sail. In that picture, if you scan down, you'll see there, there's a helm. It's that round wheel. So all this you know, power, the force of the waves, the sailboat itself that's bobbing up and down, the, the force of the wind, none of those things are the human spirit. It's that little wheel over there that's actually controlling the pitch in which way that sailboat is going. And so the, the wheel, the helm is your will to find meaning. Like we're every athlete I've ever worked with they want to know what, why am I here? Like, what, what, why am I so attracted to this? And they're, they're trying to find meaning in what they're doing. And that will that's pushing them in that direction is that helm, or it's the, it's the, it's the direction. It's the orientation towards goals. Well, you know, we, 
we love that picture in soccer, right? Because one of the principles is, hey, you got to be side on. You got to have your, you got to, you got to have your face pointing wonder. Your body position is important, you know? And so here that there's an orientation towards goals, towards, I want to drive towards something. Where does that orientation come from? Why am I attracted to this? And then there's also that freedom, you know, that freedom to make decisions. That's the spirit. That's the human spirit. The human spirit is that will, that, that, that orientation, that freedom that you have. It is the executive of your mind. It's the executive of your physical but what we focus on in sport is the physical and mental. And we never climb the stairways up into the CEO suite, which is that it's kind of hard to understand. It's kind of hard to feel. But you talk to an athlete about it. You talk to an elite level coach about it. And they understand that there's this other element that they're always trying to grapple with. They're always trying to 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 connect with they're always trying to to tap into and the best of the best have you mentioned wooden i mean everybody stops at success everybody thinks that wooden was about success because he was able to verbalize it and communicate it he wasn't about success he was about significance he understood that success was just that you know, that just hit what it, it was significance. You look at his life. It was a life of significance. Yeah, we say he won this, he won that. But those things to him, it was a process that was about building people, about helping people, helping those players achieve something they thought they couldn't achieve. That was significant. And I think that's one of the challenges we have when it comes to sport. And so I look at what I do on the other side of where I spend my time and I bring it to the field. And that's how I engage my athletes, whether it be at GSA or at Next Level Soccer Academy. And I've developed tools to do that. I've, I've found miracle grow that will help that spirit because it grows when you're doing something yeah yeah and i will say that one thing you said about wooden if you didn't listen to the episode that i was able to do with Corey close and also aaron locks both of them had the pleasure of working with john wooden and they are those are just good interviews but there's some nuggets in those about the stories of of wooden that prove your point and just with some examples. So I encourage you folks, if you didn't already listen to those, go back and listen to them. They're, they're great episodes. Corey, the interview with Corey is one of my, one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, I don't say that lightly because I, I love most of the interviews we've done. So anyway, that's, and I won't name the ones I don't. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, anyway, so. And it's I, probably I love the very all, but, first interview you did at the very beginning of the one you liked the least probably. That, that guy was, was, an, that was that amazing. That was interesting, but. Yeah. Amazing interview with with just an incredible man who I yeah. no admire. we've gone nowhere but up so. from from that interview for sure. But <laughs> I'll say, Dan, I love and I'll even say like you know, if, if folks, if you if you don't catch anything on this, I, I just encourage you to rewind. You know what 
what Dan just said. There's a lot of great, great meat in there that he has offered to us free on this podcast. I just encourage you to go back and listen to that again, because I know I will. There's some great things in there. And you even mentioned kind of towards the end, how you kind of go back and forth, things that you're taking from life and putting to the game and game into the into life. And that's that's where I want to go. That's always the next question we kind of ask is, you know, what are what are some of the things that you've learned directly from the game that you have implemented into your marriage and, and raising your children? You mentioned you're an empty nester now. So they're on the other side of it. And, and by the way, this can't go without saying that, you know, your daughter, Ella, plays at one of the finest institutions <laughs> in the country, Presbyterian <laughs> College. We can't go without saying that. But what are some of the things that you've learned from the game that you're implementing in, in, in into the household and maybe into some of your other relationships? Well, I have to say that the, the, the best things that I've learned in life have come from my wife. So she <laughs> is, does a really good job. For those of you who are married, you understand maybe what I'm saying is they have a unique perspective that they can bring to you. We're so caught up in ourselves that sometimes we can't see it. And uh, I, I would say that, you know, the team element of I go back to my college years and there was we we were so many different personalities. That That's why I love what you're doing also through this podcast, you know, sharing with people the importance of really understanding who you are. You know, how are you wired? You know, how are, how do you look at the world? Because that's important to know. But also you need to know how maybe your teammate looks at it. And sometimes why there's friction is because you come at the same problem, maybe from two different perspectives. But that's what I remember about my college years of playing, which were wonderful enrichment and enriching times. But we were so different. I mean, we had some on our team that grew up in Brazil, so they played the game one way. We had some on our team that grew up in Europe and they played the game another way. I grew up in Asia. I could have gone either way, you know, <laughs> direct or ticky tack, you know, I mean, it didn't matter. But, you know, we had to fight through that. But we also began to realize, like, we had different personalities and different ways of looking at the world. And I'll tell you, one of the things that my wife taught me very early in, in our marriage that I then connected back. Because, see, at the time, I didn't see it. I was like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a team thing. That only relates to sport. But I remember early on in our marriage, she goes, you know, you don't know how to communicate. And I was like... I'm pretty sure I, I know how to talk really well. And she was trying to get me to understand that I was only using one of the communication tools that I had, and I was not using effectively my eyes and my ears, which are the other two. In fact, they were going into, you know, they were, they were, they were weakening because I wasn't using them in our relationship. And she goes, you know, you really need to read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And I was like, I don't need to read a book about love. And I read that book. I'm thankful that that was one of the few things that I, I listened and I acted. It was incredible. It revolutionized the way that I relate with my wife. And I began to see that, oh, actually... She, this is her love language. I had no idea. I thought it was my love language was her love language. I didn't even know I had a love language. And so one of the things that that taught me was how I viewed the world, but also how she viewed the world. And I take that back because in the moment of reading that book, to be honest with you, because it was early in our marriage, I start, I was thinking about 
oh yeah, that was why Snyder always did what he was doing <laughs> on the field. <laughs> That's why we'd get into arguments about this or the other. It was just because it was the first time that I began to understand we have different ways of processing. We have different ways of looking at things. But I was first exposed to that through the beautiful game. But I didn't know how or the tools that were available to help in that particular moment. So what you guys are doing, I know you're not teaching people the five love languages. I'm just using that as an example. You guys are teaching people and, and helping you know college teams begin to understand so through some of the other things that you're doing off of this podcast, help them understand, yeah, I have a different approach here. Even though we share the same ball, we share the same field, this is why I come at problems this way. This is why I deal with conflict this is this way. This is why I don't speak up when, when in this situation. But understanding those things is so important. But that's what's beautiful about, I think, the sport of soccer is there's so many things about life that are on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that, you know, you said something about that with, with, with your wife and the love languages. It's why we do DISC. I mean, it's why I teach it. It's why I believe it. It's because, you know, communication and Red Auerbach has this quote, communication is not what people hear. It's what they absorb. And we too often say a lot of stuff and think we're communicating, but we're not taking into account who we're talking with. We also often will say we talk to someone. And if you just simply change it to talk with someone, it actually changes how your brain is thinking about it. And so I'm very careful, and sometimes I mess up, but most of the time I'm very careful to put with, talk with someone, because then you remember it's actually, you have to understand who they are to be able to actually communicate with them. Otherwise, you're just talking to them, which you might get lucky. But most of the time, especially with, I know, Paul, more often than not, he's actually talking with people even when he doesn't try. I know how we're wired, Dan, and, and we, we need to really focus on talking with people. Otherwise, we do a lot of talking to people. And so anyway, I, I appreciate that. And, and you know, and, and we, we didn't have this on the outline, but I want to share, I want you to share what we talked about beforehand, because this is something that's really important. I know a lot of people listening to this have, have players who are in high school getting ready to go to college. I know Paul's working on a program with a club on on helping transition and helping people be ready for college. And one of the things you talked about, about the, the partnership between parents and their, and their players and their kids, and I say players, I mean as with their kids and who happen to be players, and how to, how to toe that line of, of helping and doing it for them and what that looks like and, and how we can do that in a healthy way. Because I think this is so important. I just, you know, launched Drew at Biola University. He's playing and, and we're doing things together and, you know, we're a team, yes. And he needs to learn those lessons. And I know you just did that with Ella. So can you just share that, what, what we talked about before? Yeah, I think, you know, just in the broader big picture, we've been talking about college recruitment and our experiences with college re recruitment and, and the challenge with demystifying that, right? One of the things that one of the motivators for me to get involved in, in starting Next Level Soccer Academy was 
you know, I just saw where parents, there wasn't the joy that probably should be there. Like these should be the most joyful years of their life. But oftentimes for a lot of parents with elite players or players that are on the elite pathway, it can be the most frustrating because you're constantly being maybe disappointed or you're, you're facing challenges and you don't know how or what, you don't feel like you have the tools at your disposal but a lot of it is de demystifying things, you know, and I think even, you know, we've been talking about elements of that theme as we were talking about coaches and talking about the, the, you know, the challenges with youth sport development, all of those things. But, you know, the journey, I think for all of us, whether you're a coach who has players on the field in front of you and you don't want to talk at them, you want to talk with them or you're a parent who's driving in the front seat and your kids in the back and you're questioning them on what did the coach say? And, you know, are you paying attention? It didn't look like you're working hard enough, you know, or you're trying to figure out where your kids should go. Or like I was sharing with you as we were kind of getting ready for the podcast here, I, I, my daughter's dealing with an injury and is coming to me for advice. And, and I'm trying to, you know, where what's my position here what how, what should i say what shouldn't i say and you know the reality was you know in that situation i realized and maybe i shouldn't say th things and should point her, her in a direction to help her figure it out herself but also in a safe way so that she knew i was there for her that i would support her but ultimately it was her decision and and in this case, the question was, should I play or should I sit out? And I said, well, you know, you need to work through maybe these, these steps. I can't tell you what to do, but I'll support you in whatever your decision is once you've gone through those steps, that process of thinking through it. And I think that's our opportunity, whether you're a parent, whether you're a coach, you know, our opportunity in this sport that we have, or in any sport for that matter, is to help the player in this journey that is both on the field and off the field. You know, because we have to understand that most of our life is lived off the field. But what happens off the field impacts what happens on the field and vice versa how I work and perform and, and execute on the field also impacts my well-being and how I see myself or even the way I look at the world off the field. And so what we have is an opportunity to help guide them. We can't direct them. I don't know of anyone you can direct, but we can guide. And I think that's the challenge. That's the art of what it is to be a parent. That's the art of what it is to be a coach is how, am, how can I guide them in a constructive way, in a way that's supportive, but ultimately they have to own it. It's that hero's journey, right? Like how we need to understand that they are on a path it's not our path 
right? Our players that we're coaching, our kids, it's not our path. It's not our journey. We are a guide on that journey, right? And that's what you were talking about is, you, you know, with, with your daughter, it's not, this is what you need to do. It's, hey, I can give some input and your coach will give input and the trainer will give input and anybody else who has wisdom in that and you can guide to that. But ultimately, it's her journey, right? And so what does that look like and how do we do that? It's, there's no one right way, but I think if you just remember, so parents listening, coaches listening to this, older siblings listening to this, right? Like, it's not your journey. You can be proud of your kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't live their life for them or try to. I mean, you can't do it. But don't try to. That will never end well. And you said it. You can't direct. You can't. And this is something I, I start all of my disc trainings with is, is you can't make anyone do anything. And people look at me like, well, yeah, sure you can. No, you can give consequences to somebody if they don't do it. But you can't make anyone do anything. How can we influence people to do things that we know are good for them? But with our kids, I think, as I've said, that analogy of, I don't know that I can come, have ever come up with a better analogy, that we need to let them fall off their bike. Don't let them fall right off a cliff. Yeah. Right? right? Like, we just need to give them the ability to fail in ways that will not be tragic and and terrible. But they need to experience that adversity. They need to experience those trials. Paul, you got anything on that before we ask the last question? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a this is a big piece of what I'm doing right now. And I've had a conversation recently with some of our our parents because part of this isn't just about the kid education; it's about parent education too, and, and managing expectations. What I love about what you're doing with your daughter is you're not just letting her free and letting her go. You are guiding her. But at the same time, if at some point she's not able to make decisions, she'll never be able to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So you can start that. I'm sure this isn't the first time you've done that. I'm sure you started that even younger with her. But I know, you know, to go full circle, you, you mentioned earlier, communicate, make decisions and then execute. It's the same thing. Yeah. She's communicating with people to come up with a decision that she needs to make. And you, the, the older your kids get, the more you become part of the communication piece, less of the decision piece and less of the execution piece. So as they get older, they're able to just communicate yeah. and then figure out what decisions they need to make. And then they can go on and, and execute. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm taking that, Paul. <laughs> I took it from you. I just reworked it in another, hey, another area. That's why teams are great. We're like, we can together... It could be a pretty cool thing. I mean, that you know, on our own, each of us are you know not so great, but together, like amazing. <laughs> like that's why, that's why I always have a co-host. I, I I learned that a good friend of mine, Peter Greer, he runs Hope International, and and he said I will never write a book by myself because it will never be that good. That's why I have fourteen other authors on the book that I have my name on the front of. It's, it's not my book. It's our book. And, and that's the thing that I think is another great lesson is, and that goes to what exactly what we just talked about, right? We are a team as, and hopefully you see your family as a team, right? But there are things that we needed to do on our own. And, and if we wouldn't be good parents, if we did everything for our kids. And so, you know, and I just had a similar thing with my son. He had these issues that he had to get through and they were phone calls and we all know if you have to call government about anything, it's, it's awful. 
right? And But he needs to learn how to do that. And so I said, if you need to patch me in on the first few calls, patch me in. But you need to learn how to do this. And I'm not doing it for you. And the, the kind of nice thing is they once they turn 19, you can't do it for them. So that's, those are things that are so important and critical and, you know, and just necessary. It is, it is also okay, you know, because as soon as I told my wife that that was my response, she told me I was wrong. <laughs> and I should have said something else, which then she circled out in, in her own way, had a conversation with my daughter about the situation. And you, you made it a real important point. And that is, you know, there's probably more than one way to look at this too. But, you know, thinking about things and, and understanding we we're not in control that we, we just have to help and guide and and i would say that that's probably the biggest thing that i run into in any kind of sport environment is control you know everybody wants to be in control and the game reminds us and that's probably the biggest lesson we can learn from the game is we are not in control and the reality is we try to put ourselves in the best position I tactically try to make the best best plan, knowing that the other coach is going to tactically try to thwart my tactics. And, you know, there's things going on. But then at the end of the day, the ball will bounce the way the ball bounces. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't bounce the way it should in the context of it didn't listen to skill. It just decided in that moment, and we all have seen that in the game. And we go, wow, it's still possible for the ball to bounce funny and to do funny things. But it should remind us that, you know, sometimes we think we're in control. We're really not. No, absolutely. All right. Well, we, you know, as usual, we could go on and on. We just hit the hour mark, believe it or not. So we are going to draw this to a close but with the, you know, you already mentioned one thing that you've watched recently. You've mentioned a book. I'm not, a, I, you know, I, like you, people know already, I'm not super excited when you talk about Arsenal about anything. However, I did watch the first couple episodes of that, and it is, you know, it's, it's compelling. Like, I don't know why they have to do all these teams that are the, the nemeses of, I don't know if it's nemeses or nemesises, but I think it's got to be nemeses of United. But, you know, Arsenal is my brother's favorite team. So I'm like, I don't, you know, and the problem is you end up like they do it in a way that you end up liking some of these guys. And you're like, no, I don't want to like Arsenal guys. I don't want to like Man City guys. And yet they do it so well. Those all-or-nothing specials are incredible. And if you are a learner, which I assume you are if you're listening to this, if you don't watch those, I think you're doing a disservice to everyone that you work with because those they're not necessarily people you want to emulate. I know I wouldn't want to emulate Mourinho, but that Tottenham one was very good. You can learn lessons. Sometimes it's, it's just I'm not wired that way and I don't want to be that way, but sometimes it's, man, that's a really good point like i mean you just said that about arteta and it's okay if you're not a supporter of city or arsenal or tottenham or whatever you can still watch them and you don't lose your card of your team so unless you're over in england and then you might but anyway what else have you watched read or listened that has informed your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership I think with a, a book I just recently read that's really helped me, pushed me more into the speaking with 
and how to help players develop in their character, which is really that that spirit that keeps them engaged in difficult times and pressing on is uh, it, it was written by David Brooks. And I don't know, you know, people have different opinions because he's on PBS and he's a pundit, but he writes for newspaper, but he also is, a, is an author and wrote a book called The Road to Character. And I thought it was a really, really good approach to some of the challenges we face in the modern world, because there is a conversation, there is a there is a vocabulary, a vocabulary of character that we've lost, like it's lost in translation. So when I'm working now with my younger, you know, younger age groups, I can't use the same analogies. I can't even talk in the same way about character that maybe I could have talked about, you know, or uh, talked to them about maybe 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. The world's changed too much. And he talks about this in the book about just the way we're oriented today in today's world. And we have to relearn a new vocabulary for dealing with character and approaching character because, I mean, even our players, they're, they're much more like self-aware, like players today are different mindset. They, they're owners, like they, they come in with a different mindset than maybe players did 20 years ago. And so even how you approach and talk to them and, Communicate. And that book was really, really good. It, I, I think if you're interested in that kind of topic, you're interested in how do I develop the character in my player, not just how do I help them understand the game, but how do I, you know, how do I help them in this other element of character? I thought that book was a really, really good book. The Road to Character by David Brooks. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I've read a couple of his books, and he's a phenomenal author, a great writer, as you might imagine, with his resume, but he also is a great thinker. And uh, yeah, I read that book a few years ago. It's it's fantastic. So, all right, Paul, you got any parting words before we wrap it up? I, I just want to say it's been great talking with the both of you today on this episode. So, Dan, thanks for your time, and Phil, as always, but Dan, thanks. It's always great to catch up. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for just being a good friend and being now a part of this show. So I appreciate you. Well, it's my privilege. And man, I, I feel like my, my, I guess you, you've raised the game here for me. I'm, I, you know, I, all the people that you have in this podcast that you'd consider having me on as a guest is really a privilege and an honor. It truly is. But man, I feel like I, I've got to raise my game because of who you've had on this. And I, I, I thank you for challenging not only the people, you know, out there that are influenced by this podcast, but, but by the, the people that you have on the podcast. So I feel challenged, motivated, and thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, just so you know, you are right up there with the other ones. You just don't have the, you haven't had the high profile positions, but you definitely are a thinker on par with anyone we've had on. And I appreciate you very much. I know you've, you've impacted me. I've learned a lot from you in just the short time we've known each other. So thank you and keep at it. Keep running the race, brother. So folks, I, I hope you agree with that. I hope that you understand that, you know, we bring people on here because we've learned from them and we want you to as well. And we want to continue that conversation of how we can be better as coaches, how we can be better as parents and, and as friends and as, as spouses and, and as leaders in whatever you're doing. 
that's what we're about. And, you know, Dan is, is absolutely one of those. I know Paul and I strive for that continually. And, and on that note, if you, you know, you know, if you listen to the show, you know, Paul and Marcy Jobson are doing the, the warrior way soccer stuff. So much there. I don't have time to go into all of it. Go check it out, warriorwaysoccer.com. We have the Coaching the Bigger Game program that we, we've had a couple stalls for various reasons, but uh, we are looking to launch that in the near future and very excited about that. I'm continuing to do disc training. If you're interested in that, you can find all that information in the show notes as well as everything else that we have referenced on this in this show. You can find all that in the show notes at howsoccerexplainsleadership.com. So with all of that, folks, as I said, we hope that you're taking all that you're learning from this show and you're using it to be that better parent, to be that better spouse, to be that better leader in all that you do, to be a better friend, be a better coach, and to continually remember that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.